Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 87, European Visas for Newbies. The Indie Travel Podcast is brought to you in association with TravelTalks.tv and IndieTravelGuides.com. We are in Perth, Australia, and it is roasting hot. Average temperatures this week have been between 35 and 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah, we're sitting at about 37 at the moment. It is scorching. Shark attacks have been happening on many of Perth's beaches, so we've been swimming in our local pool. Yeah, my work has a pool, so after work I've been swimming, and so weird, none of the students have been swimming. I'll just be there doing my laps, and some of them will be looking at me going... What is she doing? What's, what's this swimming thing? But then on Friday it was all right. Some people actually came and started swimming as well. I'd like to remind you, if you are travelling in the, uh, the northern winter or the southern summer at the moment, if you're booking hostels, please come by IndieTravelPodcast.com and book using the Hostel Bookers widget on our sidebar or click through the Hostel Bookers ad. And um, that will give us some commission, which helps us keep the show running. Yeah, it doesn't cost you any more. All it costs you is about three or four seconds of time if you've got a good internet connection. Unlike us, ours is crap. Well, one of our listeners is Gary Arndt, and he's also a travel blogger, blogging at everything-everywhere.com. He's become a good virtual friend of ours, and a little while ago he asked me a few questions about visas in Europe and what you need and how to get them and everything like that. So we decided to put together a show on it. We'll focus on two main areas simply because these are the most popular regions of travel. The first one is the UK and the second one is the Schengen Zone. When we talk about Schengen, we're talking about a treaty between a lot of EU countries. You, uh, it's good to remember that Schengen isn't the EU. Schengen is only some of the countries of the EU and Iceland. Now, <laughs> these countries have agreed to share a common border, so that means um, for the countries which are connected by land, there's no border crossing between them. You can just hop on a train, go from one country to the other, and you don't have to show your passport at all. Yeah, for example, if you're travelling between uh, Spain and France, there's no customs, there's no place to stop, there's no border control. It's quite funny, actually. Sometimes when you're driving from one country to the other, there's these big buildings, big signs saying, welcome to Germany or Luxembourg or whatever, and, you know, there's places to stop, and there's just no one there. Well, there might be someone there kind of going, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at the moment, the Schengen Zone comprises the following countries. Austria, Belgium, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden, and Iceland. Thanks so much for your help. I was going to help, but you just kept talking. And Iceland. <laughs> you should note that Switzerland, the UK and Ireland are not on this list. Neither is Vatican City, but there's no border crossing there either. Although you do have to get your bag scanned. That's true. And we had to put off going to the Vatican by one day because I had a knife in my pocket. Yeah, well, it just goes to show your violence and need for buttering sandwiches on the road. I like butter. Before we continue, we should say this information changes really quickly. Oh, so yeah. we've based all of this on our past research, updated it by double-checking things over the last few days. But please, please, please check with your government or with the local embassy if you have any questions. We are not the people to, to give expert visa advice. However, feel free to post omissions, changes, or any mistakes in the show notes at IndieTravelPodcast.com. 
So there are lots of ways to get visas into a country. There's the visa waiver program, there's student visas, there's ancestry visas, there's dual citizenship, there's all sorts of things. We'll start with dual citizenship. If you or one of your parents were born in a country other than the one that you have citizenship, which is usually the one you're living in right now, you can probably get a passport from that country. There's huge advantages to doing this, since you can choose which passport to travel on. For example, Craig's a Kiwi, but his parents were both born in Scotland, so he could get a passport for the UK, which makes it a lot easier for him, because sometimes if you're a Kiwi, you need a visa to enter a country, but if you're a UK citizen, you don't. So he can travel on the UK passport and not have to buy a visa. That's right, but there are issues surrounding dual citizenships. Um you might have obligations or responsibilities in the second country that you don't know about. For example, if you're over 18 and you're a male and you become a Greek citizen or get a Greek passport, you should perform military service. Other countries have obligatory voting, so you must vote in those elections whether you're in the country or not. And it's also worth noting that if you cross a border into a country on one passport, you are treated as a, as a citizen of that country. Um, you can't normally revert and go, oh, I'm also a citizen of... Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So and the country you enter in is uh, the nationality you're stuck with until you leave again. Yeah, and also, if you're in a country and you have that country's passport, you're usually regarded as a citizen of that country for all intents and purposes. So if you're in a country that might be a bit dodgy and you're a citizen of that country, but you're also a citizen of, say, the United States or the UK, you don't really get the rights and privileges of being a citizen of the US or the UK. You're treated solely as a citizen of the country that you're in, that yep. you have the passport for. So there's lots and lots of issues around dual nationality, dual citizenship, that you really should research for example, some countries actually deem it illegal to have two nationalities, like Japan does. But um, others really look down on it. Like, I know that um, the American government isn't very enamored of the idea of their citizens having a second, uh, a second nationality. It's not illegal, but it is kind of looked Frowned at askance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing to be aware of if you are American and you have a second passport, it's perfectly legal for most countries but be aware that you need to enter the U.S. on your U.S. passport. You can't enter on your second passport. So there's a brief overview of dual nationality. Uh, if you can get it, it has huge advantages. Um, it gives you a lot of flexibility and freedom on the road. However, most people, well, definitely a lot of people, um, can't get it. So what yeah, are your options? Some people have parents who are born in the same country and grandparents. Ah, my parents. Ah, go immigration. There's a great argument for it. Um, so let's have a look at visa waiver programs for um, some European countries. There are a lot of places where many people can get by without a visa using this program. Basically, it means if you're going for a short amount of time for tourism purposes, you don't need to do any paperwork. You can just pitch up. And although visa waivers exist, you may still be asked about your plans and be asked to provide proof of means or a return ticket at any border control. Border guards in Europe are generally friendly and professional, but remember, they have the right to search your belongings, refuse your entry, or even arrest you. Yeah, nice. Join. <laughs> it's the same everywhere, but yeah. still, it's not a right of entry. Yeah. Um, you still need to get through the border. Yeah. It's worth having a, an up-to-date bank statement to prove that you've got money, and usually to have an onward ticket. If you're entering the UK, for example, just buy a Ryanair ticket 
onwards to France or something. So that you've got proof that you're moving on within the six-month period that you're allowed to enter the UK. So talking about the UK, um, nationals of about half the countries in the world can visit the UK for up to six months without a visa. This includes uh, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, South Africa and the US. However, citizens of some countries still do require a visa. Yeah. Check uh, www.ukvisas.gov.uk to see if you need a visa and what sort you need. There are so many visas out there. Obviously, if you're just travelling for tourism purposes, you probably won't need one. But if you want to work, you do need one. And there are so many different ones that you might be eligible for. Yeah, like ancestry, work and holiday visas, spouses visas, um, temporary workers visas. There's a lot. So just have a look into it. One good one to look into is the Ancestry one. If you're a Commonwealth citizen and one of your grandparents was from the UK, you can get a four-year Ancestry visa. And the Commonwealth includes New Zealand, Canada, Australia and South Africa. Sorry, Americans, it doesn't include you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that little spat you had a couple of hundred years ago, you know. I don't know. It does cause problems in the future. (laughs) (laughs) So how about if you're going into the Schengen Zone? If you're American or Canadian, you can be in the Schengen Zone for up to 90 days in a six-month period without a visa. This is strictly for tourism. You're not allowed to work at all. And you can enter the UK for up to six months, as we mentioned before. Australians, you've got similar rules to Americans and Canadians. 90 days and six months in the Schengen zone without a visa. And if you're a Kiwi like us, you are a lucky bugger. New Zealanders are allowed to spend 90 days in each of the Schengen countries rather than 90 days in the entire zone. So that is pretty sweet. Oh man, it's so mint. I mean, we were in Europe and we just spent time in... You know, we were trying to work it out. You know, have we spent 90 days in, in Spain? Have we spent 90 days in Austria? Oh, do we have to use... Only 90 days in all of the Schengen zone, because if we do, we're pretty much stuffed. But actually, it was fine. Yeah, the New Zealand uh, government does recommend in their overseas um, travel section that if you are going to be there longer than 90 days, you do check in with the local embassy and just let them know your plans and, and smooth the way. Yeah. So another option is work and travel visas. These ones are a great option if you aren't necessarily the most well-off. You've got enough money to to get you there and to get you home and to pay for food for a few months, but you want to travel for a bit longer and you just kind of need some money to keep you going, so you want to work. So um, wherever you're from, you can probably get a work and travel visa for some country in Europe. With the exception of America, um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately the States has no work and travel agreements in place, so it makes it a lot more complicated But Canada has working holiday agreements with France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, Sweden and the United Kingdom. And they also have something called the Young Workers Exchange Program, which operates with Austria, Finland, France, Germany, the Netherlands and Switzerland. I think in the States there's something similar to the Young Workers Exchange Program, but I have spent about 15 hours trying to research a work and travel visa equivalent for Americans. And I have found nothing. So, sorry guys. If you're Australian, working holiday agreements are in place with Belgium, Cyprus, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden and the United Kingdom. You missed Italy. And Italy. Kiwis have a lot of working holiday agreements as well. Um, Belgium, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden and the UK. So pretty similar to the Australians then. Yep. South Africa, 
loses out. I think this is a bit of a hangover from the apartheid sanction days. But at the moment, South Africans can only apply for a working holiday visa for the UK. It looks like things are changing, though, and a good website to keep an eye on is sasts.org.za. It seems to be one of the better websites for further information. Now, be aware, with working holiday visas, usually you have to be under 30 to apply, and there is a time limit. Quite often, they're only for one year or for two years, and you can only work for half of that time. Yeah, so six months inside 12 months, or uh, 12 months inside 24 A good thing is, though, if you really get hooked on that country, you can often use the contacts that you make during your working holiday visa to uh, help you apply for a full-time working visa or a full-time residency. Yeah, but you can never get another working holiday visa. That's right. You could go to a different country and get another one, Um, obviously, because of, you know the time running out before you turn 30. You can't have too many, but you could do two or three before you turn 30. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to go. It means that you only need to save up enough money to actually get you to the country. And home again. And Yeah, and home again. I think often you need a return ticket as part of your entry agreement. And um, also saving up a backup stash of cash to kind of get you started and set up and some emergency money. Yeah, we never got a working holiday visa, but we did have visas that allowed us to work, and we found that it it just made life a lot easier. And we ended up, although we could have worked full-time, we ended up working about half the time, about six months and 12 or one week and two, whatever we were doing at the time. And that gave us plenty of money to get around. Yeah, as long as you can live frugally. I mean, working half of the year is perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, a lot of this information came out of my ebook, Traveling Europe, and you can pick that up from IndieTravelGuides.com. It uh, costs between 15 and 25 US dollars, depending on which version you want to download. Yeah, I think you should get both versions. Yeah? It's yeah. 25 bucks. Yeah. But money. You, you have the print version and you have the audio version, so I mean, that's great. That's true. Hey, thinking of audio versions, um, Nathan, one of our listeners has a a website and we're gonna play you a little promo for it now Hey, fellow travelers my name is nathan and i'm one part of a family of three living in an rv and traveling these united states of america along with my gorgeously foreign wife olivia and our dashing young son tristan we're on an adventure to find a simpler way of living road schooling the boy working from wherever we can to get a solid internet connection and otherwise enjoying the cities and mountains and everywhere in between that we can find. Much thanks to Craig for letting us spread the word, and if you'd like to follow along, you can catch us at tumblewagon.com. Happy travels to you! So Craig, I've heard about this uh, thing called a rickshaw run. What's that all about? The rickshaw run is madness. What you have to do is um, get your tuk-tuk... You know, yeah, these, the one I've got stored under the bed. These little Asian vehicles you get in a lot of Southeast Asia. And it's a massive charity race. So there are teams from all over the place um, trying to race their tuk-tuks hundreds of kilometers through India, Bangladesh. It's mad. It sounds mental. <laughs> yeah. One of our friend's brothers is part of one of the teams in the rickshaw run. And you can uh, follow them at tookingbadidea.blogspot.com. Yeah, that's T-U-K-I-N-G-B-A-D-I-D-E-A. Uh, yeah, so tooking, like tuk-tuk, and then bad 
www.blogspot.com. Absolutely mental. They are insane. Um, Although I am a bit jealous. It does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, as long as they don't get kidnapped by someone on some strange border. Or run Um, into by a horde of tuk-tuks or... Yeah, well, you know what driving's like in India, so... um, I would highly recommend going by their site and having a look. And if you find them on Facebook as well, um, searching for Rickshaw Run or Tooking Bad Idea, um, you're also able to give a donation. They're hoping to raise about five grand for various charities. So, um, yeah, get in there and make a donation, help them out, and uh, make this mad, dangerous journey worthwhile. Now, Craig, you mentioned earlier today that you're thinking about shaving your head for charity. Yes, there's um, the world's greatest shave.com is um, run by a charity here in Australia and they're trying to raise money for the Leukemia Foundation. I'm wondering if I get enough positive feedback, if people say they'll put in, you know, 20 bucks here, 10 bucks there, if I get enough people, I will shave my head for charity. I guess I'm going to make a decision in the next week. So. Quick feedback on this one, people. Yeah. If you'll give me money to shave my head for the Leukemia Foundation, I will do it. You know, you need to be aware that Craig's hair at the moment is shoulder length. It's really thick and curly and does need to be cut. I have started going on at him about it. So, I mean, having to wait Come until on, I March... Look like a 1960s glam rocker. It's awesome. Well, you maybe 1970s. My kind, of, my kind of stunned <laughs> silence there. So, yes, I mean... I'd be happy for him to shave his head if that's uh, a consideration for you. But, um, yeah, get back to us and let us know what you think. Well, lots of charity stuff going on, but what's happening on the site? Well, our most recent article on the site is written by a new author called Kat Calvin, and she's writing about the inauguration of the new U.S. president. And so um, if you're going to be going to the inauguration or you're considering it or you're in the U.S. and you need something to do, you should definitely stop by IndieTravelPodcast.com and read her article. Yeah, it looked like a really solid guide. Good information, some good tips there. So thanks, Kat, and thanks to all of our authors. You really need to come by the site and check out some of this good stuff they're oh, putting yeah, together. Oh, yeah, we have so many cool articles. We really love our authors. We love you guys. Thank you, man. Well, I think that wraps up this show. European visas for newbies. I hope it was useful if you're planning a European trip. And uh, until next week. Travel well.